Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. All right, Keenan Robinson, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Good, Brett. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is this is awesome. You've done a, a great job the past two months or so, getting different uh, new, old athletes, coaches, staff, personnel. It's it's been awesome to kind of you know go on the 20, 30 minute walk and listen to you interview uh, the who's who of swimming. Yeah, well, mate, people keep telling me I'm going to run out of people, right? I keep finding great, great gems like you, mate. They're, they're everywhere. So, uh, so much to learn, so many great people to talk to. Uh, I did have George Bavell on the program uh, last week and, and he was like, Brett, you know, it's amazing your, your journey, your growth and, and the, the people you're speaking to and the things you're going to learn. Like you should write a book about all the conversations you're having. And, you know, it's, it's all there. It's all documented. So I'm, I'm really enjoying talking to really high level professionals like yourself. So I appreciate your time. Uh, well, if this was a, like an educational curriculum, this would be recess. I'm not, I'm not high level. I'm not bestowing any sort of uh, intellect with any of your listeners. So this would be all fun and games. <laughs> well, you know, listen, honestly, I think we all think of that ourselves as that. Like, I don't think I'm special, but like when you look back on, on any career, uh, like my, myself, you, you know, you're proud, you know, you, you see some things in there. You're like, oh, wow, I actually did that. And I, and I've, and you just don't give yourself enough credit. And I think you're in that boat too. Like you, you don't want the spotlight to be on you, but you've done some amazing things and you've, you've worked with incredible coaches and athletes. And now you're in a position at USA swimming where you're the director of sports medicine and science. What does that mean? Exactly. Tell us uh, for, for the people that don't know in terms of your title, what do, what do you think it means? So for me, what does it mean? It, uh, what can I assist aid coaches and athletes and even, I mean, our volunteers, because now, I mean, one thing I've learned with the COVID-19 period is officials need some sort of insight education on, you know, protocols for returning people. But, but it's uh, how can we keep our, our best athletes um, in the water for as long as possible to really, um, to really re-scratch the surface of what can be done? I mean, you think about it year to year, you, you know, it's kind of that law from, you know, the 1970s when, um, you know, when Mark Spitz did what Mark Spitz did and we never will be, you know, never be accomplished by another man. Or you look at what Sippy or Mary T did and people said a, a, a woman would never do that again. And we realized like once in a, like it will be done again, it just takes, the, you know, the right, the right couple of people. And so for me, it's, it's, um, trying, trying to help, uh, trying to help our coaches and athletes achieve that. And yeah. so sometimes it's, it's straight up sports medicine, you know, you got a, got a niggle or, you know, got an illness and we got to help you back. Sometimes it's, it's, Hey, I'm, I'm 32 years old or I'm 30 years old. And I've, I've stayed at one, you know, 153 for the last five years. How, how do I get to 152.8? Cause 152.8 not only puts me on the team, but it puts me on the podium. And so, you know, it's not, we got to go through our, you know, our KPIs of biomechanics. So, you know, is your stroke change or can we, can we change your stroke? Can your start get better? Can your turns get better? Can your underwaters get better? And maybe it's not getting better, but it's more efficient. Can, can the first wall look the same as the third wall? What have you, everything goes into that. So it's not just all technique and it's not just all physiology. It's, it's everything in, in, in unison. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I can provide a little bit of insight, um, having kind of my practical experience, which I would call, or what I used to call the real life experiences, which you did, 
which you do to this day, it's, it's mm. on deck. Yeah. So oftentimes we see the success, right? We just flipped on the TV two Saturdays ago and um, saw what was going on, whether it be at the you know collegiate level or any other level. And we think, oh, that's all you have to do. And this guy will go this time or this gal will break this record. And <laughs> you and I know that it's, it's days like today when it's the restart of a training cycle we can't really find adequate pool space and the, the meet is so far off that it's engaging the athlete to today's the day that you make the team or today's the day that you break that world record yeah well there's so much to dig into here man i'm fascinated with your journey itself uh, just in terms of you know it says director of sports medicine how many people are working at usa swimming under you or with you uh, with me, I would say there. I work within the national team division, right? So um, I work under uh, Tim Hinchy and, and Lindsay Mintenko, uh, and then the rest of us, uh, whether it be Stacy Michael Miller, who's you know in charge of uh, you know our athletes lover because she's in charge of writing the checks, but she's also more importantly in charge of uh, doping and doping control. I work very very closely with Russell. Um, you know, and then his team, which is you know Matt Barbini and uh, Katie Arnold and Dan McCarthy, and then. Uh, you know, we have the, the junior team. We, we took, uh, we took a, a loss by Mitch going to the University of Texas. But, you know, in America, that all helps out. Like, you know, him going to the collegiate system is going to make American swimming all that much better. And, you know, uh, right now, Kelsey Floyd's uh, sitting in for him. So, again, you get someone from the SEC that swam for a phenomenal coach like Matt Credit. You know she's going to bring some things to the table that will help continue to advance the sport. Uh, so that's the team. Um, and I, I, uh, but from a global standpoint, you got to understand, right? You know this, but the listeners probably don't know this. I'm stationed in Colorado Springs, except for little pockets throughout the year. Athletes aren't in Colorado Springs. Um, I don't know, we don't even have any junior like youth athletes in Colorado Springs. So it's, it's, they're out at institutions throughout our country, Stanford, University of Georgia, Texas, what have you, or their, their clubs. And so I'm stationed out of there, but uh, it's, it's uh, pre-COVID, it's getting on the road and, and meeting, you know, first and foremost during that and establishing that relationship with the coach and the athlete. And then one of the unique things that never existed within our organization before is, is to um, either establish or continue the, the relationships, whether it's with the strength staff, the sports medicine staff, or any of the ancillary staff. So getting to know the team doctors at the university setting. Brett, you, you were involved in the collegiate setting. Um, both as an athlete and as a coach at the same institution, uh, Auburn, you probably you probably had ten to fifteen different athletic trainers in your time there as an athlete and a coach. Whereas yeah. Auburn football I had the same dude working football and athletic training since Pat Dye was there, right? Yeah. So that's the 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 one of the um, you know one of the shortcomings of the American system, the NC2A system, is that uh, they call them a non-revenue sport, and so that has that negative connotation that uh, they're not bringing money in, so the athletes aren't as uh, as important. But uh, having a, sta a stable, consistent relationship, be it with strength and conditioning or be it with sports medicine, from somebody as they come in as a freshman to when they leave as a as a uh, you know, as a, as a senior or when they stay on as a postgraduate, that's important because their, their standard of care is going to change. Whereas, you know, especially in basketball, they only really need to be there for six months. They need to show up in June. They need to win a SEC title, make a playoff, you know, a tournament appearance. And by the end of March, they're gone. They're making millions. So it doesn't really matter. Just make sure that they, uh, yeah, I guess like make sure that they don't you just give them baseline standard of care, really. Like, I, I mean, I, that, that's, that's, that's the truth. Whereas, you know, uh, uh, you know, next fall uh, through colleges throughout the, the campus, everybody, everybody, athletic directors, associate athletic directors, presidents, chancellors, they're all going to want to meet 
um, the Olympians that you coach and want to meet you and want to know about the Olympic experience. And they yeah. don't realize that, man, we got there sometimes despite of you guys, not because of you guys. So for me, it's getting out there and establishing that relationship. So when that revolving door of providers leaves, there's so, still some continuity of care. And, and um, you know, if they have a if they have a really, really established um, kind of healthcare system. So think of, uh, think of a place like the University of Michigan where they have a hospital system and physicians. And so the health system's great, whereas, you know, a place uh, that doesn't have that, um, it, they, to be able to get into a doctor, it may be 10, 10 days. And uh, we're not the sport where our superstars can sit out for 10 days, but you put them on the field on Saturday, they're gonna be able to ball out. It's just not, the, that's just not the way it goes. Uh, one of the very first lessons that I learned from, I can't remember if it was Herbs or Bob, uh, when I first started at Michigan was, was that uh, you take them out. If you come and tell me they can't practice that day, we've lost a week of training. If you come and tell me they can't train for a week, we've lost that month. And anything over, them, over, anything over a week, you've just pretty much compromised their success that year. Yeah. That, was pretty, that was pretty telling. As someone that didn't grow up a swimmer and doesn't know anything, didn't know anything about swimming, that was pretty telling to me. That was like, Hey, it's time to step your game up. It's more than stem and ice. It's more than just a little massage. Like you, you I better be on my a game and be, be learning things. So yeah. um, that's the, that's the practical experience. And, you know, over the last four years, we've, we've established a, I mean, all of our volunteers, all of our medical providers that go on trips with team USA, different than the AIS, they're all volunteers. So they have their normal jobs 350 days out of the year. And so it's finding, um, not finding people that will want to do it because, hey, the, the, the carrot of going to the Olympic Games or the carrot to work with, uh, um, you know, the, the carrot to work with Jay Litherland, a world championship medalist, people want to do that. They want to hook their wagons to that can say like, hey, here's my picture on the gram. But the people that can say like, hey, this is what we can do to keep this person healthy, to preserve them, or this person has something going on. That's 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 where that's where we wanted to get to. Um, and so. Doing that, whether it be a chiro, massage therapist, physical therapist, but also finding the right physicians, right? That aren't just going to say it's because you train too much. I mean, how many times did you hear that either as an athlete or as a coach? Yeah. Hey, Brett, just give him some time off. You're training them too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we don't need that anymore. <laughs> well, here's, um, well, let's get into this then, because when I first came to America, there was a situation that I was provided that I couldn't get in Australia. It was this period between the age of 18 and 22, where I came into a team setting that was fully funded, that um, had talent around me, people my age, you know, I got to travel America, I got to compete at the highest level. So I'm in this collegiate system for four years. In Australia, what happens after high school is if you don't make it to the national team, there's this huge gap of like, what do I do? How do I fund myself? How do I survive? I got to go once a year to an Australian championship and finish in the top couple, or I got to wait a whole nother 12 months to try it all again. You know, and there were a couple of years there where I was delivering pizzas just to survive. You know, that, that was what I did from 18 to 20 before I came to America is just, that's how I survived. So there's in Australia, there's this massive gap uh, where I, where I think uh, the U S kills them. But on the other hand, Australia is super competitive, right? With the US, they're, they're one of the top teams in the world. So they're doing something right. And this is where I think, personally, I think that they may be beating the US in a way is that the top end, after this whole collegiate experience, they have these professional centers or high performance centers where they're getting enormous support. And and the, and you, you know the Australian system, so you can kind of talk to me a little bit about it. But this is where I've I feel like the U S is kind of 
lagging a little bit in terms of this after college. All the all the pro athletes are training collegiate programs and they're, they're kind of being pushed to the side. There's no professional programs in the U S like why, why do you think that is like, why, why isn't there a home base in Colorado Springs or why don't we have high performance centers? I, I know. And this is a long question. So it's like, this is me just, it's me just ranting a bit, but it's like, I see this, like Australia's got it right here and wrong here. And the U S has got it right here and, not wrong, but they could be better here. You know what I mean? Like, why isn't there professional centers in the U.S.? Yeah, well, so, man, there's, there's a ton to unpack there. And I think we can kind of go back and forth where we can kind of splice out the positives and negatives, be it the U.S. system or, or some of the global systems where you, where you get the nail on the head, right? Where in, in every country except for the United States, you get to a certain level or a certain age, and then you're, you're dumped into these high-performance centers, yeah. which – Theoretically, no, no, no stone goes unturned. Your health, you know, your, your strength, your physiology, your, whether it be mental health or cognitive performance, two different things that need to be treated two different ways, on and on and on. The problem is, in my opinion, is you're at the disposal of one coach or one coaching staff. And so let's swing back to the other side of the spectrum where – um, when you go to the, the uni system here, here in America, you, you know, maybe you get top-notch strength, sports medicine, you're better off going to see a veterinary, um, but coaching is most important. And so it's kind of this, this ambiguity, but, but, but five, three or five of our athletes just go to this, this place. We'll just call it, you know, Timbuktu U. And then another three or five go to this university. And so, if, um, you know, as a coach, whether you're a strength coach or a swim coach like yourself, we have our good seasons, we have our bad seasons, we have our good cycles, we have our bad cycles, and sometimes we, we don't have good performances. And that's when we go back to the drawing board. In other countries, if they don't have that in an Olympic year, game over, right? You just yeah. basically wasted the talent. Uh, and and uh, we're here in the, in the uni system, uh, we may lose three or four athletes for a year. We, we, we rarely see someone just some talent just go into waste, right? That happens very rarely. But our country continues, and that's the strength of the United States is there's so many coaches that um, that are doing it right because there's no there's no perfect way. Otherwise, otherwise we would have the answer to this question. If there was a perfect way, this perfect coach and his perfect staff would be in Colorado Springs or wherever wherever the most beautiful place is in america there's a million of them right why don't we have at least one though why don't why don't we have one home base you know supported by usa swimming where athletes could at least come and make that choice because honestly look look you know it athletes are being pushed aside in collegiate programs you know these top athletes some of the most incredible athletes college coaches aren't getting paid i know this because i was a college coach so <laughs> the college coaches aren't getting paid to pro to coach pro athletes and put up with pro athletes you know what their needs and wants and it's like hey i'm getting pulled over here i need to coach these guys you guys are almost you know secondary to what i'm doing whereas these are some of the greatest athletes in in any sport like we have like let's let's we were talking about Tom Shields earlier. Tom Shields is a cow. I'm not saying he's getting pushed to the side, but Tom Shields is one of the greatest athletes in any sport. And yet he is kind of a secondary thought for, for the cow program. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, it, it's just kind of all, it's like that all over America. So why don't we have a home base for us? Athletes? 
it's a good question. And I would actually kind of put it on, um, I would put it on the decision-making of our, of our athletes and coaches. Cause I, I don't blame our athletes, right. They, they, um, they, they make that, they make that jump when they leave their club program and, you know, the athletes you guys got at Auburn, the athletes that go to, to our top 15, they were, they were studs in high school and age group swimming, and they're okay making that jump. Right. And it's the never ending cycle of, you know, like the club coaches never getting the credit. Um, and for some reason there's that, there's that resistance or that fear to do that same thing when they, it's time to leave college, you know, where they would say, like, cause we've tried it right in 2000, gosh, right. The 2008 to 12 quad, there was the, um, you know, there was the two, uh, whatever they call them, the centers of excellence, right. Yeah. David had his crew down in Charlotte and yeah. uh, Bob had his crew in, in Baltimore. And then um, basically, I think they, maybe they continued it again in 12 through 16. Um because those are those are kind of like the the only two non-college or university affiliated programs, and David has you know has or is or you know they're they're doing it again with Team San Diego, and it's just it's just um, um, you know certain athletes will go there, but not all the athletes, and so I think there's there's probably a way to do it. I just it's it's out of my kind of I think it's out of my understanding of of um, because there is there, not a lot, but there is money involved, right? So again, we'll keep everything just, we, we know we could fill the names in as we want to, but we don't need to do that, right? But, but um, coach at university has a couple athletes that are on the national team that if they go to an international game and win a medal, they get paid. They get paid by Athena, they get paid by USA Swimming. And if they do it at, a, at a Operation Gold, US, USOPC meet, they get paid by the USOPC. And so they want to keep keep that athlete and they want to provide the best opportunities for it. But then come October or November of that, you know, after that summer, they're associate AD. It's never, you know, never to the AD because AD is worried about basketball and football. But the associate AD or the senior sport administrator is telling you, Brett, make sure that, you know, your university athletes are winning a, you know, conference championship and finishing top 10. And mm -hmm. so then talk about the athletes get pushed to the side and then the support staff. I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. Right. I, I don't get why you, I get time and things like that, but I get, and, and I say this because I lived it, you know, I lived it for, for four years, five years, my first five years at Michigan. And when I came back for a cup of coffee in 12 and 13, I did the same thing. Look, if they were in Canham, I provided care for them. And the one big lesson that I learned coming back when I came back 12 to 13 was if you were a post-grad and you missed, like, that's when you get pushed to the side. Yeah. That's when you get a bag of ice and a bag of STEM because yeah. you're telling me you want to be a post-grad and a pro, but, you know, uh, Monday night flip cup at the uh, Blue Leprechaun was more important because, you know, especially at a place like Michigan, there's eight guys or eight gals in these lanes that are taking your spot on the national team. I don't got time to – to, to coddle you. Um, yeah. So I, you know, like, so maybe you could answer that better. So I just don't know where, why that resistance is. And I get it. And it probably requires um, assembling, you know, if it could have been done, it, if you could have put David and Bob in the same location, then it probably would have worked. Right. Yeah. Cause you get people that, uh, well, the two of them, right. They, they work successfully at Las Vegas gold, like, right. That's, you know, you probably had both on their story and people don't know that because they live at, to say that Bob Bowman came from the 
from the uh, David Marsh coaching tree, people will be like, you're, you're crazy. Like mm-hmm. the wind must have taken that seedling and put it in way other one field over there, right? But uh, they worked uh, uh, copacetically there and, and both of them have their strengths and their attributes. And uh, you look at a guy like Davis Tarwater, he would be the only example, right? Swam for both of them. And the end product was great. Made the Olympic team, Olympic gold medalist, right? And uh, each part of David and Bob made him and, and allowed him to get there you know, on top of Gardner Howland and on top of Matt Kredich and on top of uh, John Urbanchek all contributed to it. But that's probably where it would work, where it'd have to be two coaches that, um, you know, it was good for their personal family life um, to live in a certain location. And then just like you do in a collegiate setting, like you can't have all sprint coaches, you can't have all middle distance coaches. And let's, let's cut to it, Brett. Like in my opinion, uh, we know it, right? Like you're being tasked with coaching a guy that would like to make the Olympic team and the 200 butterfly. Your, yeah. your resume indicates that you're a little bit better or you have more notable athletes in the 50 to the hundred, but you're a damn swim coach. You know how to coach. It's a human body. It's an organism. It's going up and down a box of water a certain amount of times, certain frequency, and you'll, you'll get them there. Right. So um, it doesn't even need to be a sprint or a middle distance or a distance coach. You need to be a swim coach that understands yeah. human. So I don't yeah. know if that answers questions but it's definitely some thoughts to, to kind of kick around well yeah and look i just i just wanted to throw it out there and this this isn't the direction i was intending this podcast to go but it's just like you have these thoughts and and i'm thinking well i've got a guy from usa swimming who's one of the smartest dudes on the planet like what well i see you sitting there in colorado i'm like man why aren't we utilizing these resources like right here you know and uh you know especially in this time of covid like you guys have a pool there people are out of out of pools like they're desperate to get in pools there's all these restrictions on pools i'm like you're sitting there you know your team's up there there's a pool there why don't you just pull some of the top athletes in and just say let's go to work for the next four months you know while all these restrictions are going on and i say that that comes back into the uh, the willingness to kind of to jump into the deep end really like i thought the same thing i thought uh the longer this has gone on yeah and that more coaches and athletes would just say, Hey, we're, at least we know we have a 50 meter tank. Mm-hmm. We have high altitude training. So that's another huge bonus that we can't get anywhere else in the country. Maybe Flagstaff, Arizona, that's it. We have, uh, and then everything else we have up here, you know, lodging food and, and, uh, whatever. I, I went through this when I used to come up for 21 to 24 days every year, sometimes multiple years, um, and just say Colorado Springs is a bum town. Well, like the reality is one, it's not a bum town. It's an awesome town. Like, uh, you know, like if it's, it's, it's not LA, um, in some ways, but it's better than LA in some ways. Right. But, but scratch that every city in America is locked down. So it doesn't really matter where you're going. Right. Like the best you can get maybe is to take out food and go home. So, um, but, but for some reason, I, I can't answer that question. Why athletes? And I think a lot of it has to do, and I would, I would be this way as well is that uh if i if my pool space is good enough i want to stay here because it's an olympic year and the 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 fear of a dramatic change which is i don't know just being coached by somebody different um again i don't blame coaches and athletes right but um but you know to your to your end we're going to get a bunch of athletes up here in january and uh looking at the roster of the people that have come up here i'm i'm just as excited i love i mean there's it's been a good change from a, you know, from a personal standpoint uh, of not having to do, you know, 5 a.m. practices every morning. I'm sure yeah. you, you're appreciating that as well right now. But uh, it, at heart, I love being on deck. I love being on the weight room floor. I love, um, 
going through a practice, looking at the sheet and not just looking at the end number of 8.9 or 4.3. I love the, the nuts and bolts of what's going on to that. And, um, you know, I've, I've been blessed to go on a four-year sabbatical up here with this job where I've seen uh, I no longer have to listen or believe into the, the rumors that, that, so, like, that uh, saturate our sport, right? Like they don't do this down there. They do this down there. Over here, they don't do yeah. this. Yeah. I could say, well, let's go ahead and do that. That was the very, the very first trip I took at USA Swimming. So I started in uh, September 1, 2016, was down to NC State, right? Because they had just put that dude on the team. Um, Ryan and, Held? And yeah, Ryan Held had made the team. And uh, they had another guy uh, that was darn close. Right? He, he just missed it in semis or he was eighth in finals. And right, everybody on deck that wasn't in the college game or didn't know was like, NC State, where do these cats come from? And you, you heard all the rumors, right? They do this, they don't do that, this, this, this. And I was like, well, I'm going down there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see what's going because they just took a guy that was about, he was a one-star athlete, you know, 456 in the 200, whatever, coming out of high school and put him on the Olympic team from the United States of America. That's that's coaching. Yeah. And, uh, and it was the one I'm thankful. I'm extremely thankful because that whole staff, it's like it's like the heyday of, of Auburn or the heyday of, of Arizona when Frank was down there. It's like that staff's gone. They're all throughout other places throughout our country. And you'll just, just see those guys work and gals and their, their harmony. You're like, okay. Like I, I, like, I don't need to stand on a pool deck and listen to, to people say, this is what they do. This is what they don't do. And, yeah. and, and that's what I love yeah. because in our country, back to what we said in our country, there's, there's no, there's no one road to, to Tokyo or Paris or Los Angeles. There's multiple. And, and uh, let's just figure out which ones are, are going good. Cause it's my job to, to figure out if something goes wrong, haywire, whether it be an injury or, or they're, they're, you know, Ryan made the Olympic team. And a lot of people are like, what? I, I mean, we get the, you know, the printout. You've had to do it with all your athletes when they made 2009, when you guys set the world on fire. You, you were going to be in Rome, but we had Tyler on the Olympic team, um, the breaststroker. I can't, I can't. Gangloff? No, no, no. The young cat from, uh, from oh, Louis. You know. oh, Adam Klein? Adam Klein. And, and uh, that's when um, Michael Lawrence had just broke on mm-hmm. the scene. But you had to send... David may have been on staff, so that may have helped out uh, on the USA staff, but you have to send workouts to, to help all these people out. If people don't know that, then, then athletes suffer, you yeah. know, because, I mean, people know what certain programs have done because for 20 years they put people on the national team. And so uh, I really felt like uh, having been mentored and gone to school, uh, we had go- gone to school, gone to swimming school, but with some of the coaches that I've learned from, from spectrum to spectrum, at least can look at a workout and communicate, shoot a text back to, to, to a coach back at home and say, Hey, like so-and-so is looking sluggish or so-and-so is doing stuff off the block, but your workout says they should be doing aerobic stuff. What, what do you want going on? Um, so back to your first question, what do I do? That, that was, doesn't come like with my uh, human resource job description, but it, but it allows that opportunity. Well, that how'd you help. get there? What, what did you study to get to where you are? Yeah, so I got a bachelor's in uh, exercise physiology, a master's in sports healthcare, uh, and then um, you know. Where'd got you study a, those? Uh, so I went to undergrad at a small Division three school in Michigan, uh, Adrian College. Played American football there, and then uh, grad school down at, at Arizona. And uh, 
you know, I'd done a seasonal internship with a San Francisco Giants American baseball team. That's where I thought I was going to go. They're not hiring in June when you graduate. So um, when one of the jobs I was offered was at the University of Michigan, the sport was swimming. So I was like, I'm going to, it's Michigan, most prestigious athletic department in all the world. I'm going to go there, have that on my resume and get the heck out. But that was uh, fall of 2004. Um, they just had a coaching change. Bob Bowman came in there. He brought an athlete by the name of Michael that I, I had no clue who that was. And uh, so I was a temp, uh, you know, a, a blank, uh, a blank tapestry that uh, I got to learn this sport. And I think it being 24 young um, and the group they had there, coaches and athletes, um, there, there's not many places like that in the world that um, could, could, could light a fire to be like, hey, like, I know about shoulders and shoulder injuries, but how you get there is, is what's going to be important. And um, so that's what I, you know, that's what I said. I wouldn't say I've, I've gotten my master's degree yet in the uh, school of swimming, but I've had some, you know, had some great professors, you know, that, that time frame having Bob and John and Jim Richardson. And in the summer times, old Peter Lynn would come over and coach every day. And we would go on these runs every day. And I just sit in the back and just learn and realize that these eight, you know, going eight for eight is not just going to happen. You know, uh, having three guys go under 15 minutes in the mile is not going to happen. Like all these things that people just think are going to happen, like, whew, there's a lot of ins and outs to it. And it's long, it's arduous, it's the mundanity of excellence. And uh, I, 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 I'm so appreciative for, for Bob, Jim, and John. Anytime I'd go to a meet and, you know, I'd ask a question and be like, well, why, you know, why, um, you know, why is, why is Auburn so good? Like every NC2As on the men's side, they win every 50, they win every hundred, like no one can beat them. And they're like, well, there's, there's David Marsh. You go ask David Marsh, you know, or, um, you know, there, there's Jack Bowerly. And so that for those coaches to be as, as welcoming to, to talk, because to me, like I, I can figure out the injury, but you know, if a 50 freestyler is having a shoulder scope, the same as a 400 IM or there's there, they didn't get to that injury the same way. Um, so what, what similarities are there and what differences? So things that I can be aware of because uh, yeah, at the time we didn't, we didn't have too many 50, hundred guys, but you know, lo and behold, four years later, Bob leaves, goes to Baltimore and Mike bottom comes in. That's, that's a whole nother, you know, different. And if I hadn't at least, uh, and again, this is probably being too arrogant, but if I hadn't at least like tried to be keen and listen to like, exactly what I said, like what Frank and, and, uh, and again, this is no disrespect to anybody else that was killing the 50 and the hundred, but if I wasn't Frank and, and David seem to be, correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, but you guys seem to be killing most of the fifties and hundreds at NC two A's that, that quad. So, um, yeah. just being aware and, and cognizant of that. Well, I think that, I think, I think those like anything, um, they were onto something and then, you know, the advent of the, the internet and sharing the, of information that we have now, everybody can figure out what anyone's doing now. It used to be like, what, what are they doing down there? And you would have to fly to NC state to figure it out. Now I can just get on uh, Instagram or Twitter and I can see what they're doing that day. So the, the sharing of information has uh, allowed, I think, I, I think that's why the rise in, in swimming uh, itself has, has risen in terms of, there are so many people that are swimming fast. Look at, look at what high school athletes are doing these days. I mean, it's ridiculous, let alone college kids. And like the A-cut used to be here and then it's moved to here and here. Like the A-cut in, in swimming these days at the NCAA level is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, that, that's what the average are doing at that meet now because 
everybody's sharing information, even a podcast like this to get you on and just listen to an expert in the field or people taking notes, you know, and then they, they go back and they utilize that information in their programs. So I think that has helped a lot. Um, just on that, there are very few people in this world that have an intimate relationship with Michael Phelps and we're, we're inside that inner circle. There's a, there's a couple of people, you know, and you were certainly one of them. And uh, we're all fascinated in, in anybody like Michael, but because we're swimmers and swim coaches and swim fans, we are certainly fascinated in Michael, you know, cut, cut the bullshit for me. We all know that he worked hard and we all know that he was super talented. What are the, what are the other factors that we don't know that just separated Michael, like some real, real life stuff, like that really separated Michael? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll say something because I think it, it kind of hits home um, for those people that watch the uh, the Last Dance that documentary on yeah. on Michael. Um, that ultimate competitiveness that Michael had, like he didn't just work hard. Yeah, he worked hard strategically, and he just hated to lose. Like I, I just think of when they were talking about like the way Jordan picked on guys that were coming up um, that were supposed to be the next, I mean, Michael would do the same way and he would just like pick on people. And so it's not just working hard, right? Anybody can work hard. Swimmers work hard. It's in their DNA. You know, it's get in, stare at a black line and whether you're going to do it for 8k a day or you're going to do it for 4k a day, it's working hard. Yeah. Michael knew how to, um, you know, always work hard, but have like the difference between third, fourth, and fifth gear. There was, there's very rarely a first and second gear. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob and Michael have been pretty articulate about and vocal about when first and second gear hit and it, you know, caught up to him in 12. But other than that, Michael lived in third, fourth, and fifth gear. And he just knew how to, to pick people off. And um, his, still to this day, I mean, his, his, his ability to, to it's, 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 it's visualization, his ability to look at a workout and visualize himself the way he's going to go through it and not just like dismiss the warm up and the preset and just how am I going to work the main set? Mm -hmm. It's, and then the post set, Bob's notorious for having the post set to, you know, kind of clear their, their, the physiological waste. Like Michael would just be able to look through this and then he'd be able to look right throughout his career. I mean, just think about it. that 2004 to 2008 group is the greatest swimming group ever assembled, hands down. If you want to look at Olympic medals produced, uh, both at that, you know, both in 2008, but those that won in 04 and then ones one in six, 12 and 16 is the greatest training group alone, right? But when Tyler Clary has to go second in a lane sometimes, mm. you're dealing with savages. And Michael could look and be like, okay, I'm doing, um, you know, I'm doing a breaststroke set. And there's really only two guys that can, can compete with me in the breaststroke. It's Scott Spann Jr., fifth at the Olympic Games in, in the 200 breasts. And it's Eric Vent, his nemesis in the in the 400 IM. So I have, a, I have a pretty good breaststroke. And Michael would just know how to bait, bait these guys and then boom, break them. And his ability to shrug off losses, which didn't happen a lot until after, you know, Beijing, and they still didn't really happen all that much. Like the the um, rivalries that, that uh, social media or, or media back in the day would try and cook up, they weren't rivalries. Like when the record's 212 to 86, that's not a rivalry, <laughs> you know? And like his to be like, this is, this is why I, I lost it and compartmentalize. And um, so I think um, 
always working hard, but knowing how to strategically work hard is one. His mental capacity can just not be, it, it just, I've never seen it in sports. Like I watched the MJ doc and um, you know, you've watched the Tiger Woods stuff and I'm just Michael, when it came to the highest stakes, uh, he was the best, right? Like I just, you were there, we were all there. Like, just think of his turn on that men's four by one uh, relay in Rio where like Michael hadn't competed internationally since 2014 Pan, Pan Pax in Australia, right? So the global picture didn't really know where he was at. And he goes second on that relay and his underwaters, that wall was like, oh, well, he came to play and he came to play the whole time, right? Like, and, and think about, his mental capacity, like he could have, he could have just chose the 200 IM and probably not probably he would have broke the world record. If he had just done the 200 IM and said, okay, America, I'll help you out on the relays. But if we don't stand a chance for a medal, I'm not going to, not going to help out with the relays. And mind you, the four by one, the summer before, I, we might have not even qualified for the Olympic games. It was terrible in Kazan. So like he could have easily been like what some athletes in other countries have the luxury of doing of saying like, Hey, I'm sitting out. We're not a podium. We're not a podium contender. I'm just going to focus on me. But Michael always stood up and, and, um, and competed that way. And um, let me ask you this. Was there ever a thought again, you're in the inner circle and you probably heard some of the conversations and maybe even heard Michael maybe talk about it, but was there ever a thought of Michael trying to become the most dominant hundred freestyler in the world? Was there ever that thought? I'm sure there was a thought. I mean, they kind of toyed with it in a nine. Remember that in Charlotte, he tried doing the, uh, you know, the arm driven. Yeah. He was asking me about, so he was, he actually got my advice there for the first time. Him and yeah. Bob were kind of like asking about coming over the top a little bit. And, and, and I think they played with it for a second, but like, I get the feeling that if Michael truly, truly invested in something like that and just and almost said you know what i'm gonna put maybe that to the side a little bit and i'm gonna just put my attention here um you know he may have he may have been have, have a crack at it but was it was there uh, a hesitation there because he didn't think he could be that guy or what was it what why didn't he just he just didn't care? I, would say, I would say it was the um it was the um, luxury that every coach and every athlete wished they could have. You know, Michael trained and believed so much in his butterfly and his IM capabilities that yeah. he, I mean, think about it. You want to be someone that won an event for four straight Olympics or uh, dominated a certain event on a country. I mean, just look at it, Brett. Uh, this is, this is it. You know, we're, we've been really trying to strengthen the men's 200 butterfly in this country because you look at number of times under the 156. So number of 156 or faster. Michael's, you know, it's just like ridiculous. I think Michael's at like 136 times. Puppy Chow is still number two. Tom Alchow is still number two. It may be like 75 or 80. Uh, Davis and Tyler are really close neck and neck at number three. And Bobby Bouillet is number four. Like Michael, for him, it was like, man, how can I give this up? I'm so dominant in a but in terms of, I can't speak for him, but I bet you like in terms of his belief, like if he said, I'm just going to focus on the hundred free, there's no doubt in my mind that he was like, I'll, I'll win that and I'll break the world record in that. And I will be the best hundred freestyler ever was. That's what I, mean, I wanted. I wanted that. I wanted to actually approach him on the deck a few times and be like, Michael, you know, you know, couldn't we, couldn't we just try this? Like, 
I mean, who? No one. No one wants to be uh, on the track. Who cares about the fifteen hundred on the track or the three thousand on the track? You know, it's like everybody wants to be Usain Bolt. You know, and that's kind of the way I always felt about swimming. In the sense that the hundred was the glamour event. You know, you had your pop offs and your Hugen bands and and your your beyondies and and I always felt like, man, I'd love Michael just to have a crack at that, like a real crack at that. Now, don't get me wrong, he could swim it, but I wanted him to be putting pressure on the top end of the top end of like guys. I'm like, shit, Michael's coming for my event now, you know, like really push that boundary a little bit, you know? I think, well, I think, yeah, he, he, there's no doubt in my mind he could have. If he just said this, this is what we're going to do. And I, I mean, I think both the backstrokes, he could hold the world record in both of those. He just never swam them on a, an Olympic stage, right? The, the impossible double, the 200 IM, 200 back. He just never chose to do it. Ryan did. Uh, and then the 100 back. I mean, Michael only swam that shaved and rested a handful of times. And uh, gosh, I think the last time he actually did it was 2007 Indianapolis Summer Nationals when Worlds was in Mel Melbourne earlier in the mm -hmm. year. And he, he darn near almost broke the world record in Indianapolis kind of in an off swim. So, I mean, I would say this, and and um, I, I, the only the only three events I think that he couldn't couldn't have broke the world record in, honestly, and he may have could have would have been the fifty, and uh, both breaststrokes. But I, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, like he he really worked hard on that breaststroke to get it going for that IM because he knew like you know after the backstroke leg of it with Brian, but uh, maybe that's that's quite like and I think like so to ask like a capacity that he has, everybody thinks they can be a world record. Everybody thinks they can be an Olympian until they got to do. Olympian work shit, you know. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you know, you're good. Go I mean, that's that's legit. Like he, who would have thought that he? Okay, let's put it into context. Two thousand, the, the two, the Rio quad. Um, less than two years out, my man was getting his life right in in rehabilitation. Right, the rest of the world's training, moving along, getting better. You know, he comes out, uh, and so we'll call it end of January 2014 is his, or 2015 is his preparation for Rio. And to be able to fast forward and be able to win three three individual goals, right? 200 IM, 200 butterfly. I don't know, only two, but we're, okay, we're, we're splitting hairs. He won more medals than anybody else that went to Rio that year, right? Like, because he had it in his mind. And, you know, he wasn't like, I'm going to Rio to just be a spectator. I'm not going to Rio to, to make it the most Olympic. I'm going to to win medals. He really didn't care about the Nike and Ralph Lauren swag or the arena swag. He went for the medals, you know? And I think that's why I think he – so maybe maybe the 50. Maybe he could say, like, hey, Keenan, we're going to spend a little bit more time in the weight room, a little less time doing the aerobic stuff, and we'll get going. But because uh, he – like I had, I had Caesar at the time, and I'm like, come on, just take a run at Caesar. Like, come over here and just take a crack at him. You know, like in uh, it um, the Ohio Pro Swim Series down in Columbus in 2008, they had a great neck and neck race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had it, he had it in him to be uh, the the dominant hundred freestyle. It was there. He just never took that final step. And I always wanted him to like, man, just drop the four I am, come over here and have a crack at this hundred free and put some pressure on these guys. Cause they were just a little too comfortable in that event. They always knew that Michael was going to step on a, up on a relay and we're like, all right, that's the only time we really have to deal with him. But they just, they just didn't have that Michael Phelps pressure walking into the call room at the Olympic games in the hundred free. I think that would have just added a whole nother element, you know? And, and I think so. So one, Michael's belief in himself that he could have done that. And, and like, I don't want to, but Bob could have coached him to do that. Bob's a phenomenal yeah. coach. Oh, for sure. Right. You got to look at the organisms that you have to coach or the people, the skill sets. Like, 
birds of a feather flock together. He just got more 200 IMers, but he's, you know, he's starting to get some, some of the, the yeah. distance hunters down. I think they could have, and I would say this, there wasn't a meet that didn't go by towards the end of his career where, um, you know, the one I always remember is for some reason, you know, the table where I would take care of him was always set up at a call room for the 50 and the, the 50 hundred in, in the, at the Mesa Pro Swim Series, right? And all the sprinters are like, weren't there the first two days of the meet? Like then they show up. Yeah. You know, and they're just kind of like they're sucking down their coffee or their mm-hmm. whatever, clapping like themselves. And MP's probably on his sixth event for the weekend. He's like, man, I need to do that. I, I could step up and if I just had to mm-hmm. swim once, I'd dominate this. So it wasn't it wasn't a fear of the event. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a fear of the the quote unquote pain that goes into like it's a different kind of pain, right? You know that. Every athlete that's trained kind of both 400 IM and 100 free you know that there's two different types of feelings. He didn't fear that. And he certainly didn't feel the competition. Like Michael feared nobody. He was like, you get up. Like I own the, the middle two lanes. You get to j- just choose whatever one you want. I'm, but that's my lane. Right. Mm. So competition was never, we respected everybody, but I, I never saw him being like, Ooh, I don't know. We're going to need some luck today. Like it was like, just make sure that the, you know, the guys get me to the right lane and I'll take care of it. You know? So that's what I mean. Yeah. I, yes. I, I did see that many times. Um, is there consequences to that type of mentality though? When, when you have, I'm going to put it in a way that, you know, like that, that murder mentality, you know, like I'm going to murder these guys. Like these guys don't stand a chance. Like you stand up next to me and you're going to regret it kind of thing. And so like, obviously we saw some of those things that Michael went through. Um, what I'm saying to you as, as a, as a sports medicine guy, um, is there a way around that? Or is that just inevitable in terms of punishing somebody that hard and pushing somebody that hard? And George Bravel calls it the organism, pushing your organism to that type of level. Um, is that the only, uh, way that you can come out of that is that you have these demons? Man, I, and that's, I think that's what we're, we're tackling, um, you know, as a, as a country or as an industry with the, um, you know, the mental, mental health stuff. So, uh, you know, it does, it probably does come at a cost. Like you're asking someone that, that never had to stand behind the blocks and, and in some many cases had to carry a country on your shoulders, right? Yeah. Like, I just, I mean, I highlighted the four by one relay, the, the four by two, mm-hmm. uh, again, like the, it wasn't stacked in our favor you know, like it was earlier in Michael's career. Um, the medley relay, right? Like the world just got better. Like uh, mm. Michael, we needed a great Michael and a confident Michael. And I think that does come at cost, right? Like um, uh, I think just being so focused in um, the expectations um, where we talk about it all the time in, in, in every sport, it's, you know, it's uh it's when you lose, when you've been so dominant that people say, well, what happened? It's like, I, you know, uh, and, and I really wish, um, you know, I really wish I don't know how much you follow American football, but I really, like, I look at the Bill Belichick statements, he, you know, they're not having a great season for the first time in 25 years. And he keeps on saying like, I'm going to make no excuses for the last 25 years of success that we've had, you know? And I wish, you know, Michael had said that sometimes because people want to know, like, you know, why, why, do, like I said, you know, he lost a pro swim series in March, you know, to some young up and coming 400 IMer. Like, why don't you ask him, like, are you, cha- are you working on something different? Or, 
you know, has been the reduction in training or, you know, you're not doing as much kicking, like ask them like the potent questions that a coach or an athlete can say, like, that's a big takeaway. That's a key performance indicator. Like Michael said, I was doing this. Now I'm not doing it. And it's caught up to me, or I wasn't doing this before. And now this is better. Like I didn't work on backstroke starts as much or whatever he and Bob are doing at that point in time. That's, that's when you can, is there going to be another Michael Phelps? That's when you can take the big, you know, the big notes. And I think coaches have done that nowadays, but I, I do think it comes at a cost. And we see it with a lot of our athletes, right? Like, you know, his teammate Allison has been very vocal about it. Uh, Missy's been very vocal about it. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, Tommy has been very vocal about it. It does, it does come at a cost. And um, now thankfully to those four, they've really, you know, tightened the, the clamps. They've said like, Hey, we, we need to get support. We need people that are willing to work as hard as we are, in the pool, if this is your world, like figuring out the cost of doing business from the brain standpoint, step up, become the next Michael in your field and figure out how we can get support. Right. I was kind of well, like, yeah, I mean, but you know, when you talk about support, you were there. So does it hurt you when, when you hear Michael say, I didn't have the support. Like I, I see a guy like you who was right there with him 24 seven. Did you ever feel like there was a time where he was pushing you out or did you feel like, I oh, mean, I wish I had said that or I wish I had been more involved there or anything like that? Like, why would he say I didn't feel supported? Uh, well, I, I don't like from a professional standpoint, I don't um, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a licensed psychologist, psychiatrist or a social worker. Um, I do in the sense that, you know, I should have seen those signs and found someone that can relate to him on that level. I think, you know, Bob's probably talked about it too, when it comes to, uh, you know, Michael and Allison are just the most vocal because they were like, look, we're going to use this platform and we're going to, we're going to speak until changes occur. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 do, I do, I mean, I guess I do take, uh, I do take ownership on that sense, but, um, um, you know, do I wish I would have done something? Uh, sure. Hindsight's 2020 because to see Michael where he's at now, um, you know, I just saw him, Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was down in the valley, and um, just to see the the husband, the father that that, that dude is, and like he's still fit as fit as a fiddle, mm. man. If he, if he wants to come, like if he wants to come back, the world better watch out. But beyond that, hundred free. That's uh, that's not in his wheelhouse because he's he's worried. You know, he's not worried. He's, he's more fixated on being a good, uh, a great father to those three boys and a great husband to Nicole, and that's, you know, like quite. I mean. And, and Michael has figured that out a lot on uh, not, I think this is why he's so vocal, not so much on the, like the professionals that have helped him out, but like his, his amazing wife who stood by and, and helped him and made sure that when he was, you know, when he's struggling, she, she helps him out and, uh, and Bob, you know, like, cause he, he trusts them. Those are the, the two people that, um, you know, no degree, no degree can replace love. And he knows that those two love him so much that like they, they, They'll, they'll always try and do what's right for them. So uh, I, I think if you talk to any coach or anybody that would kind of be in my, my realm and uh, um, if they're and say like, what, what could have you done? You don't know until it's too late because these high achievers, there's only been about, there's only been one Michael in the, in the world of sports. And, and again, I'm biased in my opinion, but just show me a championship where he didn't deliver the goods and, um, I mean, it just reminds me a lot of Tiger Woods, I guess. If I was going to compare him to somebody, it'd probably be Tiger. Tiger, you know, yeah, Tiger would be close, but I mean, yeah, you just look at it and you just, you wonder, could have I done anything? And, and you just assume to just keep going, right? Like you hear, like you got to let them blow off steam and sometimes blowing off steam 
you could have blown off steam playing checkers or chess, right? But high achievers, you know, not and you know, they, they yeah. figure it out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously, I don't want to say like, well, I, I did my job, man. He got strong, he was healthy, and he was fast. Like, but you know, not filling the, the buckets of of uh, being there for mental support. But um, you know, and so because of that, he's you know, he's kind of made me more aware that it can't it can't be just something much like you can't just allow a shoulder to kind of like well, we'll just see how this shoulder thing develops. Mm, right? yeah. That's when you have surgery and you're out of the sport mm. or, uh, you know, strength and conditioning. We're like, well, we're just going to try this program and see how it ha- happens. And then yeah. you, you blow your back out. Like yeah, it's just yeah. it's the same thing. Like you, you can't just like wait and see if it will turn up. Yeah. You gotta be, you gotta be on them. And that's why I think, I think that's what he means by like, Hey, I need this. You need these support, but the financial and well as the resources of having, high achievers in that industry yeah yeah um well i appreciate your time man this has been this has been informative and and uh, awesome uh what what's the next you know six to 12 months look like for you personally well i think uh we got a great i mean we got a great wasn't the last three four weeks just awesome for our sport here in the united states yeah right whether you know whether it was the collegiate and you look at uh um you know, you look at, man, Luca Orlando, right? Less than a year ago. So January, early January, the dude's shoulder was dislocated. And what he does at their invite. And that's just, this is awesome. It's like, all right, we're, we're good. Like 200 butterfly, we're good. And then what Shane Cassis is doing it down at Texas A&M or uh, Kate Douglas is doing out at UVA. And then like the younger, those two girls in the 100 butterfly, whoa, watch out, right? Tori Husky and uh, uh, Claire Curzan, right? Like, and then you look at what happened at the association, you know, over in, in Budapest. And it's like, I mean, the first week is the week that I, I love the most about that. Uh, um, where like Caleb, Melanie Margalis, Lily, Olivia, get off the plane three days later, break an American, mm. American record, keep it moving. How you doing? Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, this is awesome. This is what our country thrives on. This is what our sports on. And then you look at the U S open and, um, I already highlighted those two girls in the hunter butterfly and it, the event that, uh, I mean, I was there, I, I went to the, to the, uh, Sarasota meet and by the way, like they did, they did a great job, Like we, we, we can, we can put on meets, uh, yeah. both, uh, you know, as a country under the leadership with, of Tim Hinchy, we can put on meets and they can be safe and we can, we can do this. Um, but watching, uh, Bobby Fink go 1509 in the 1500, I'm biased. All right. I, you know, I've worked at Michigan for so long, like that's. That's the primary event, but to go 1509 in season like that. Ooh. And then, and then his teammates, Brennan Gravely, I think was like 1526 or something like that. Um, you can appreciate it, Brett, right? That's Australia's race. I read that book, the 1500. Uh, People are itching for competition, man. Aren't they? You know, they're itching for it. So it's nice to see it. We, We can provide that. So for me, it's to make sure that um, I continue to work under under our leadership at, at USA Swimming, work with our top physicians to make sure that wherever we just decide to choose to, to host meets, that we can put on a, a meet that's safe. Um, we can put on a meet that that um, you know, quite frankly, favors our, our Tokyo people. I mean, it's a different different day and age, right? The vaccine's going to come out. We'll be we'll be safer as a country a year from now if you and I speak. But um, Tokyo is going to happen. We need meets that are going to kind of favor our highest level of competition because they need that. And, uh, you know, what I'm really keen to, to figuring out is, um, you know, I hope and I know a lot of our athletes that were over there was trying to figure out, you know, uh, did you talk to, um, 
know, did you talk to a guy like Chad McClellan and uh, how does he stay so competitively good when there's no one else in this country that can push him? Yeah. Uh, you talked to, I mean, I wish he had gotten over there earlier, but Federico Pellegrini, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, I mean, what is she? 30, 32, 33. Yeah. Uh, how do you stay so competitive when your country hasn't had any competition for you yeah. in, in five years? Because that's kind of where we're at. Like you might be able to compete, you know, the people in the South Southwest might be able to compete against each other in the Southeast until we can, you know, start to figure out some, some healthier stuff. Like those are the things that I hope you, you come away with. Cause I know, I know when we get to Omaha, man, you eight lanes, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to be able to compete, but how do yeah. we get in the absence of it um yeah and the other i mean think about the, the people we haven't talked about like i i mean i know that they're they've done some race efforts and some some practice efforts but we we don't even like this might be a good thing like people don't know what simone and katie are doing like people forget like our, our two studs generational athletes like what like what are they doing yeah what and, are they doing <laughs> um, i don't know i, I guess greg, greg kind of knows what he's doing he knows, guess, he knows what he's doing yeah, my guess is they're doing some good efforts. So I, I just, uh, you know, like, let's uh, let's get healthy. Like everybody that traveled, whether it was for a USA swimming competition, NC2A competition, or, or the association, we, we we get home, we we do like great quarantine, we get our test, uh, we can get back into the pool. Let's hope, uh, again, we won't get into a public discussion because I know that's your struggle in, in California and LA. Like, let's hope we can mm. get in the box of water, train, get through the holiday season, start January 1, and let's, let's go. Um, yeah. And, and we're, whatever I can do to, to help our athletes get there. That's, that's going to be what's most important. Yeah. Well, man, that's what I'm looking forward to as well. So listen, if you ever need a, uh, a resident coach, I know a, a, an, a, an American citizen with an Australian accent who would be, be glad to come up there and work with you, mate, anytime. So uh, let me know, but listen, I appreciate your time today and uh, thanks for the insights. All right. All right. Thanks, Brett. All right. Take care, Keenan.